Welcome to Care More, Be Better, a podcast for people like you who care about the social impact of conscious companies and everyday heroes. Hear inspiring stories from those who put people and planet before profit and personal gain. You'll learn how you can make a difference, vote with your dollars, and get involved today. Here's your host, Karina Belizzi. Hello, fellow do-gooders and friends. I'm your host, Karina Belizzi, an activist and cause marketer who's passionate about social impact and sustainability. In this episode, we are going to talk about food, the need for food, food scarcity, and hunger. These are challenges many people face each and every day, and so many more are facing now during the COVID pandemic. We're going to talk about caring for people in our communities and showing love through giving. We will hear about incredible people who have been brought together through the love of food, community, and giving. We are going to talk about lasagna love. I'm thrilled to be joined today by the accidental founder-in-chief of Lasagna Love, and that's my parlance, not hers, <laughs> Rhiannon Men. Rhiannon is an experienced consultant who works in the nonprofit, public, and private sectors. She has spent her career helping organizations address critical challenges. She's passionate about social impact, and when COVID-19 hit, just had to help people in her community. As a result, Lasagna Love was born. So today, we're going to hear all about the impact of Lasagna Love, who put community first. Rhiannon, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. This is wonderful. I'm so glad you're here. You know, the messages put into the digital space by Lasagna Love are so simple and so beautiful. This is a quote from your site. Feed families, spread kindness, strengthen communities. When you become a part of Lasagna Love, you're joining a movement full of people who want to weave kindness back into the fabric of our everyday lives. Tell me, how did it all get started? Oh, well, even though I don't use that title, what you said, accidental founder-in-chief, it's appropriate because Lasagna Love was a big accident. It's, I mean, it is. So this all started back at the beginning of the pandemic, which I can't believe was almost a year ago at this point, where we got back to San Diego. We were abroad. We came back, I think, 24 hours before they closed the borders. And everything in California just shut down when we got home. We saw challenges in our own business coming to a standstill. I was hearing stories from other moms in my community. Some of them lost jobs early on. Some of them all of a sudden had kids at home and were like, how am I going to work remotely? And what does that even look like? And now I have kids 24-7. And is it safe to go to the grocery store? And just so many feelings of stress and uncertainty. And I wanted to do something, but volunteer opportunities were also shut down. You, you couldn't even at that point find a blood bank to go to. I just sort of started to think, okay, well, what do I love doing? What can I contribute? And my passion is cooking. I, I love cooking. It's my happy place. So it felt like a really good place to go during this time of stress and uncertainty. And so my toddler and I just started making extra meals. And we posted to a few moms groups on Facebook saying, hey, if you're struggling, whatever that looks like for you, let us drop off a meal to you. Um, contactless, it'll be safe. It's interesting because I was expecting the response from, from mom saying like, yeah, sure, like, please come by. That would be awesome. But I wasn't expecting other people to get to message saying, hey, like, I don't need a meal, but are there enough families to go around? I'm feeling helpless too. How can I like help my community? And so it really grew organically where it started with just me and Simarine. And then we had 10 women in San Diego and then 50 and then people in other cities seeing their friends post that they were cooking lasagnas for neighbors and saying, that sounds like a great idea. And so it grew very much city by city, person by person to where we are now, which is over 20,000 volunteers in all 50 states. 
with an incredible volunteer leadership team, and we've delivered over 30,000 meals, and we're, we're matching anywhere between like two and 5,000 families a week, which is just mind-boggling to me. The thing that you said at the beginning of your explanation here, that you basically put it out there to say anybody who needs help. I think that's an important distinction because right now it can be a very challenging thing to admit that you even need help. Myself personally, I often find I'm perhaps the last to raise my hand and say I could use some assistance, right? Like you get so used to in this mom mode, just doing and helping everybody and go, 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 that there may be a point where you just feel crippled. And at that point, you don't know necessarily who you can reach out to. I've been in those, you know, mommy groups on Facebook in the late hours of a night, scrolling through and seeing initiatives similar to this, not exactly the same, but really also saw then that women were reaching out to one another and saying, well, what can I do? Oh, well, do you need laundry picked up? I could take care of that. Or I'm running errands. Can I support you? Because some people even had limited transportation or they had something just come up where they suddenly couldn't get to where they needed to go. I think that's really great. So I wondered if that was a conscious decision at all, or if it just kind of happened organically. You know, I'm not sure if it was conscious. It just felt like the right thing. There's a couple of things that you said that really resonated. One is there's a stigma around asking for help. And especially, I think, among parents and especially among moms, where we put pressure on ourselves or it comes from society where we're sort of supposed to be able to do it all. And if we can't do it all ourselves without asking for help, we failed. And we mm-hmm. internalize that. For moms especially, it's, it's very hard to say, you know what, this is a lot. During the pandemic, there's a lot of research, there's a lot coming out. There's some articles recently about the emotional labor on moms and parents and the number of, of moms and parents who have had to voluntarily leave the workforce. It's estimated about 1.4 million because all of a sudden now they have childcare responsibilities and they're trying to do distance learning and they're trying to na- navigate all of this. And it's just too, it's just, it is too much. Most people, when they think about struggling, they assume financial need. One of our core values is we have zero judgment. One, we want to empower you to ask for help because we know how hard it can be. So how do we make it easier? And that neighbor to neighbor connection, it's sometimes easier to say yes to a neighbor than it is to try and go sign up for at a food bank or a nonprofit, or like it's easier to say yes to someone who offers help than to go out and ask for it. So we try and make it super visible and very much like, you know, we're here, share this widely, anybody who needs help sign up. But the second piece of that is really around being zero judgment and saying struggling does not just mean financial ever, but especially right now. Struggling means I'm burned out. My mental health is suffering. I'm overwhelmed. I just don't have time to make dinner tonight because all of this stuff is happening and I don't have mental space or the energy to stand in the kitchen or I'm immunocompromised and I'm scared to go to the grocery store. So we've heard so many different reasons why people have reached out and we want to make sure that no matter what struggling means to you, it really is struggling in your words, not in anybody else's definition of the word, but in how you identify and what what struggle is for you in this moment, COVID related or not. Well, I think back to what happened last spring. And for us, our daycare shut, right? So suddenly our three-year-old and our six-year-old have to be home with us. I was in the middle of graduate school. I work for two clients. My husband works full-time. Thankfully, I work from home, but I mean, having the kids home and trying to do that at the same time would have been impossible. I had to reach a hand up and say, hey, friend of mine who just moved across the country, would you want to maybe move in with us and help me take care of the kids? She had literally just moved to Florida. And she's like, well, I just moved here thinking I was going to get a job working in a restaurant or something. And now they're all shut. So 
yes, I'll come back across the country to live with you. (laughs) And thankfully, we had the space. We could make it work. We were able to cover her finances and give her a stipend for taking care of our kids, right? And had enough space to make that happen. But if I had not been able to do that, my entire life would have been kind of turned upside down. I would have had to stop working. I would have had to stop going to graduate school because suddenly my childcare options did not exist. Mm -hmm. So when you say that number 1.4 million, I think that number is actually underreported because of all of those individuals who might be like myself who don't get a paycheck from anybody. Right. That changes the statistics, right? It changes the statistics of who's affected by unemployment too. And thankfully, you know, by the end of six months, the daycares are open again and we're able to go back to some sense of normalcy. In fact, my son is going to start in-person kindergarten next week, which I'm just thrilled (laughs) with because he needs that. Their instruction via Zoom is just not it, right? Like he's struggling learning to read and we're trying and we're doing whatever we can to support, but you know, it's... It's different. It's not like a college kid or a high school kid learning over Zoom, which also isn't always ideal. (laughs) So I thought about that moment and I was like, you know, there are moments where if I hadn't had that in-home support, I would have been at my wits end going like, I can't cook another meal. I want to supply healthy food. I would absolutely have been a consumer of this product, you know, asking for some lasagna love. As far as what you've shared so far, you said over 30,000 meals have been delivered, but you're talking about a lasagna tray, right? Like a meal is a lasagna tray. So that's like eight meals or more. Depends (laughs) on on how old your kids are probably. (laughs) My husband is like, you know, two servings of them at least. And I, I have to say it's one of my favorite comfort foods. As you got started with these lasagnas, did you think about expanding into anything else? Like, well, maybe we'll do taco night or something. Even though it's called lasagna love and lasagna is still very much at our core. I think there's something about lasagna that just says like, hey, I made this from scratch. I care. It's warm. It's cheesy. It's, you know, you you eat it and you feel better. You eat it as a family. It's, I picture like a big, you know, Italian family around the table, all like joking and passing stuff. So there's, I mean, lasagna definitely is a, a symbolic in a way, mm-hmm. um, but also is tasty and a comfort food, but we have plenty of people who are volunteers who don't want to make lasagna, who don't like lasagna, who have family recipes. A lot of people have branched out. So we have some people who make enchiladas. We have people who will make mushroom stew, we have people who do vegan meals or chicken oh, thighs. So we we do like kind of change it up. And we also have people who have been cooking for at this point a year and you know might be a little bit bored of making lasagna. So <laughs> there's definitely a spectrum, but we try and you know, work with the family to know, okay, like what, you know, what are your allergy restrictions? What works for you? Are you okay if we make something that's not lasagna? So if their heart was set on lasagna for the reasons we talked about, then that's definitely what they get. But um, we have started to branch out at least like a little bit, not like officially, but people here and there will, will do other dishes, which is nice. Yeah. Well, I think about the things that make lasagna great. It's always better the second day, like when you reheat it. It's like all of the um, tomato sauce gets more sweet and it just is so divine. But a lot of people also have dietary restrictions. That's one of the things that it got me thinking about. Like, oh, well, I guess you have some limitations because, well, you're not going to get past the gluten. You're not going to get past the cheese. There's a big plant-based movement. So I wondered if you had like plant-based mamas coming into the fold saying, you know, we're going to go ahead and do this a little differently and make something that's a vegan lasagna. (laughs) So I've made a vegan and gluten-free lasagna using... So I made cashew cheese from scratch. 
um, wow. tomato with the mozzarella. We, you know, did something, we did like a tofu scramble in place of the ricotta. We used lentil noodles instead of the regular pasta noodles. And it, I mean, it tasted good. It's for sure possible. Or I've also done zucchini noodles in place of of like the regular lasagna noodles. And mm-hmm. it's awesome. So lasagna is so flexible. There's mm-hmm. so many different pieces that you can pull and replace that I, you know, I think there's a lot of opportunity. Yeah, definitely. Now, if somebody was interested in getting involved and making some lasagna or maybe enchiladas or getting that special soup together, that family recipe, how do they go about that? So it's super easy, which is part of, I think why it's grown so quickly is that it's been, we've made it very accessible. So if you're interested in volunteering, go to lasagnalove.org. There's a button on our website to volunteer. You fill out a form and basically just tell us what works for you. So how often do you want to cook? How many families do you want to cook each time? Do you want to just make like regular lasagna or could you also do vegetarian or dairy-free or you know, do you have a kitchen that's set up for nut allergies? You put all of that information in, we sort of store that. And then every week we run like a matching process where we match volunteers with families. And we do that based on how far you're willing to drive and what you said you were willing to cook. And did you sign up to cook this week, once a month, once a week? It's super, super easy. And then we have a community on Facebook where you can ask questions. And it's a ton of just really kind, generous, amazing people who are all here because they do want to weave kindness back into their communities and they do want to help families. And so you get you get that piece of it as well but it's super easy. Now you mentioned that matching process. That sounds like it could be an administrative nightmare. So I'm wondering if there are some technological tools that you're using to help make that process easier. We've had to. So one of the really crazy things is just how quickly we've scaled and how how quickly we've had to put systems into place. You know, I think ordinarily a, non- a nonprofit has time or like a movement has time to grow, whereas we were kind of thrown into the fire where back in September we had 500 volunteers and then we were on the Today Show and all of a sudden we had 5,000 volunteers, which is right, a lot exactly. more. And so we, you know, originally when it was just me and a few people, I had built a whole system on like Google Sheets and the tools that I knew, right? But with that kind of growth, we had to really think through, okay, what are like the true technological, like innovative solutions that we can do to replace all of the man hours that are going into matching? Because it's really nice to be that connected to the process, but also not sustainable. We want to keep up with how many people want to be involved. We built uh, an entire volunteer software portal. That's the portal where everybody signs up through to volunteer. It's where recipient families sign up if they'd like to receive a meal. Um, We partnered with an amazing group of graduate students at MIT who wrote an algorithm for us that basically automates the whole matching process. So it looks at the data from both sides and says, okay, this week, like here are the two to 4,000 matches based on driving distance and allergy requests and who signed up and all of that and optimizes and tries to make sure as many people get fed as possible. We have an amazing volunteer software developer who built the whole portal for us. Uh, his wife is a, a regional leader in our, in our in the organization. I mean, a couple interesting things. One, yes, the technology, right? Like we had to have that. Right. Is it perfect? No. But is it infinitely better than Google Sheets? Yes. <laughs> well, because that would have been really difficult to scale and it wouldn't have been perfect where the algorithm is going to be closer to perfect. So it'll be more likely that something won't get overlooked or you'll minimize the drive time that each person has because you've matched better, right? That's the whole thing. Yeah. So it's definitely increasing efficiency, but also we can match people across the entire United States in about two hours. Whereas that used to take a couple hundred man hours if we were still trying to, you know, actually like look at Google Maps and see how far you guys are from each other and drop things into spreadsheet and copy and paste. So. Wow. 
Well, that's really great to know. And I'm curious how long it took to go from the more manual process to this newer, more innovative one, even with all of those volunteer man hours. We had the idea around probably September, October. I think we started actually building the tool in November and then we launched in January. The thought process to actual launch date was probably three or four months, wow. um, which is actually That's really fast. software. That's really um, it fast. felt like forever to us though, because every week that it wasn't ready, we're like, oh my gosh, we're doing this in Google Maps again. Uh. Well, I can only imagine because I've done that to track sales cycle, like for a broker rep or whatever. And there were tools available. So I could just go ahead and load all my broker addresses into a maps application that would then show how far each of their accounts were from their house. And I could then optimize territories or look for new gaps where I needed to hire someone else. Same basic thing, but that software was expensive. And so I was just trying to figure out how you might have been able to accomplish this you know, in such a short time. I mean, you basically started up and then bam, within a matter of months, you're serving how many dishes a week? On a weekly basis, you've said you've delivered 30,000 lasagnas, roughly? In the early days, we were around 100 a week. And then somewhere around November, we started to hit 1,000 a week. And now we're matching close to 4,000 a week. Wow. The theme that I, I noticed keeps coming up in Lasagna Love and part of what's enabled us to grow. So it's not just the software itself, it's this idea of like, I'm calling it fractional volunteer leadership, right? So we have so many volunteers with incredible skill sets who are excited about donating their skill sets to Lasagna Love rather than just their time making lasagnas. So we right. had a software developer happy to build this. We right. have volunteers who have held leadership in huge organizations who have volunteered to be regional directors and help like get a whole part of the country going. We right. have volunteers in marketing and branding and partnerships who are now our business development team, right? So like, whereas many organizations basically can only grow at the same rate that they can get fundraising, we've been able to grow exponentially because we have an incredibly strong volunteer leadership team of people who are donating high, high level skills to help move us forward and make strategic decisions. Um, and it's a really powerful model that I, I wonder if we're going to see more of. Well, this touches on um, some of the topics I've covered in earlier podcasts. Like when I was actually interviewing a good friend of mine, Violet Anna Leiby, and she started this company called The Giving Cake, right? And all the profits from the cupcakes she makes go to local charities in Santa Cruz County. She started it because she felt like she had to give back in much the same way that you started Lasagna Love because you felt like you had to give to your community, right? Like the same sentiment is there. And at the end of that interview, I was asking her, what can people do? What can they do to give, get involved? I mean, is it just donating their time? And she's like, absolutely, that's it, right? Because you have skills that other people might not, that a not-for-profit in your area, hey, they might not be able to afford to hire somebody for those skills, but they still need the work done. And they need the work done as much now as they did last week and last year. The reality is that because of the straits that we've been in, people are motivated to try and give back again, to really get us to a space where we're seeing ourselves and each other as part of the same community, partially because we haven't been able to get together and hug and party and you know have that barbecue and feel connected in the same way that we might have before. So I think now is the time to get involved. And the message I keep hitting on as we continue recording these shows is just that one person can make a big difference. I mean, you are proof of that. With Lasagna Love, you have basically started the momentum of this entire wave of lasagnas, right? Like, 
This is an ocean of lasagnas. I've been <laughs> I can't even <laughs> picture a warehouse full of 30,000 lasagnas would be quite something to see, you know? Right. That's just amazing. So really hats off to you. I'm, I want to give a nod to all those software developers, the MIT students and the volunteers who work to make this happen for you because my God, it's not for you. I don't mean it that way, but you know, for lasagna love. That's yeah. fantastic. Given that you're running this primarily as a, a volunteer organization today, I wonder if you see that changing or morphing as the organization becomes a little more developed and seasoned. Sure. I think that we're always evolving and I think we're having to answer questions like this as we grow. So, you know, in, in the beginning, it was just me. And then it was me and a couple of people who were, were willing to organize in their own states or own communities. And now we have a volunteer leadership team of, of over 250 people from local leaders on up to business development directors. I think we will continue to be a primarily volunteer-driven organization. I think that's part of the power of what we do. That's not to say that we don't have a core... I mean, we do have a core staff of people who are paid, but we can be much more strategic about where we put the limited funding that we do have. So we'll look for positions where we're, we were not able to find that skill set in our volunteer pool, or, you know, we need, we truly need a 40 hour commitment. And it's not fair to ask a volunteer to commit 40 hours a week with sort of no break. Those positions are certainly evolving as we grow and we're having to grow our core team. But I think given our size, one of the beautiful things is that we're able to run so efficiently. We're able to run on much less capital than many people in the space because we do have this amazing group of volunteer leaders who are contributing expertise and a significant amount of time. I mean, some of them donate two or three hours, but some of them are, are donating 15 or 20 hours a week. That's what we run on is their, well, and that, their enthusiasm. That effect is powerful too. I mean, I'm sure within their communities, they're out there talking about what they're doing and getting other people involved too, or just encouraging them to be a part of the change that they want to see too. So that's fantastic. Now, if you knew what would happen come September in the beginning, what might you have done differently? I'm thinking back. There was just like a, a huge learning curve in the beginning. There were so many days where it just felt like, like I couldn't even keep up with the pace of growth. Like we had people wanting to come on and I'm thinking, okay, well, I have a finite amount of time, but like, we'll figure it out. Sure. If I had had the visibility into what this would turn into, I, I think the thing I would have done differently would be try and keep a couple steps ahead. So those systems were in place when we were on the Today Show, when we were on the Kelly right. Clarkson Show, when we did have that explosive volunteer growth. Like we were recruiting volunteer leaders to be in place before we needed them instead of like, okay, we have like well, 4,000 volunteers who, like, who can take that on. And like, and you know, even though we had, we might've had a weak visibility into, okay, we're, you know, cool new PR story, we better get ready. But that's not the same as having, you know, a month or two or six months to really plan for growth. So I think most organizations are like, okay, well, this is how much we've grown. So like, here's our trajectory. We'll probably be here by the end of 2020 or 2021. If we had been able to say, you know, beginning of 2020 to end of 2020, here's what we would look like. We would have been able to be much more strategic about planning for that. I have strong feelings around mindset and like the mindset around like just saying yes and being open to possibility and not seeing problems as problems. And so I think that really enabled me to sort of see every one of these challenges and just say, okay, we're going to be calm and figure it out as we go. Things would have been chiller. I think it could have been chiller, but I also think about the authenticity with which you started this whole effort. And I think that just the realness of saying, this is who I am. I'm a mom in my community. I have a following on social in the Instagram world because that's what I kind of do, right? 
And then at the same time, I need to make a change right now and I need to do it. It's just got to happen. You put the effort out there. You have a little savvy with regard to how social spaces work and you're able to leverage that, right? And then all of a sudden the floodgates start to open and people are like, wait, me too, me too, me too. I want to help, right? Like, let me help this thing grow. So suddenly you've now created this momentum that's like kind of like a wave that started off as like a little ripple and started to build and is almost no planning for that kind of explosive growth, right? Like you could plan for it and then it might not happen. So then what have you done, right? Like you wasted all those resources and time. So I just think it's beautiful how it came about, the intention behind it, the reality that all of these people essentially got inspired by what you were doing and felt a tangible way that they could help support other people in their communities by just doing the same thing. It's just beautiful. People will ask me, well, how, like, how did this grow this fast? How did you do this? And uh, there's, I don't think there's a formula. I think the fact that it was just me doing something genuinely, I think that was part of the inspiration. And I think if I had sat down and said, I want to start an organization that does food delivery, I want, right? Like we would have done things differently and we wouldn't have had the same kind of power behind just a mom helping her community. It would have felt different to the people seeing the messaging. Yeah. And I also wonder if um, something might've crept in, like, um, you know, the thought of, oh, well, um, who are you going to give to? right? Who is that person going to be? And let's, let's paint a picture of what they look like. You're formalizing it. And what you did was say, anybody who says they need help needs help, period. And I'm going to help those people. And that suddenly erases this whole, okay, what is the archetype I'm serving? And, and there's no market segmentation. There's no, yeah. It's just, if you say you need help, you need help, period here, you know, raise your hand and we'll do it. And so there's something that is just, it's like it erased all the red tape, cut through the BS and said, you know, hey, we don't need all that. Let's just go. I think that story really appeals to me fundamentally. (laughs) I mean, I left a job that I was, you know, top dog at for a long time and earning a really great income. And people around me were like, why did you leave the job? And I'm like, well, you just go when you make it. And that was what I said, you know, at the time, like, and I I felt that way. I felt like, you know, sometimes you just have to have a change and you're not sure why. And I just needed to go and make it and make whatever that future was going to be. I love that. So really nice work. I want to give a round of applause to all of the many volunteers that have made this effort happen, that have made it as successful as it is today. And to all of those people who've raised their hand and said, I need help. You don't know what the other effects of that are. Perhaps you were less stressed that evening. Perhaps you were better with your kids. I mean, I think we've all had these moments where we're a little frazzled and uh, and didn't ask for help and had a really awful night for that, you know? And then what was a ripple effect from that? On the other side, if somebody shows up at your house with a lasagna, I'm betting you had a good evening. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. So are there any questions that you wish I'd asked that I haven't or anything that you would like to say in closing? I think the only thing, and we touched on this a little bit, but I can tell you from the stories that we hear from volunteers that being a part of Lasagna Love is just as impactful for them as it is for the families that we deliver to. So you say, you know, dropping off a lasagna to somebody who's struggling, like there's an emotional impact that night. Their life is a little bit easier. They didn't have to worry about dinner. They feel cared for and loved and like they're a part of a community. But we also hear tons of stories from volunteers about how being a part of this has given them purpose, has helped with their own mental health during the pandemic, has given them a community. 
And I think that's really powerful. And I think we're very much broadening from, we're not just a meal delivery program anymore. It's a, it's a kindness movement that has an impact on genuinely every single person who's involved, whether it's the family or the volunteer. And we're starting to see that kindness have a network effect where we get stories from recipient families now saying, oh, like I had leftovers. So I brought them to my 93-year-old neighbor who's Mm. homebound. Or just this past week, um, we had a gentleman email saying, thank you so much for the lasagna. It was delicious. I actually ended up paying my neighbor's heating bill upstairs as as a way of paying it forward. So we're, we're just, we're hearing that lasagna love, yes, is about food and connecting, but it's also about putting kindness out into the world and watching it spiral, watching it ripple, watching it grow. And I think that goes back to what we said, you said at the very beginning of really weaving kindness back into the fabric. That's how we're going to achieve that is one lasagna delivery at a time, but then seeing what that does in the future. The metaphor that you just shared of weaving kindness back into the fabric. I've always felt that way about making lasagna because when you make a lasagna, it's almost like you're weaving with noodles It's just such, I think, an eloquent way to think about, you know, making food or making a meal. And the same sort of thought comes to mind for me when I do something like make enchiladas, right? It's the amount of tactile touch. It's like you're literally putting your physical love into the food that you're making. It's not something that's just magically happens in a half an hour. Like you have to pre-cook the noodles and then you lay each of them out after doing the layers of ricotta and everything else. And it's just a, a beautiful expression of kindness and an expression of love. So I think um, choosing lasagna was probably a very wise choice. It's a wonderful, lovely food to make. It feels like you're giving even as you're making it. And perhaps that's the Italian in me, <laughs> but I think it's universal. It's, it's, it's a food that takes that kind of physical labor to it. Just like, you know, the enchiladas. Any other sound bites you want to leave um, before we move on? No, I really appreciate the conversation. And I, I, I love talking to you. It's just so many cool things come up when we connect. Yeah, we'll have to do it again. I want to hear about where things go in the next six months because um, this whole COVID thing isn't over. And I am a firm believer that this movement is here to stay. I agree. Now I'm going to link to lasagnalove.org in the show notes, and you'll see an update on our action page detailing how you can get involved with Lasagna Love. Just go to caremorebebetter.com and click on action. I invite all of you to join the conversation and be a part of the community we're building here. You can follow us on social spaces at caremorebebetter or just send us an email at hello at caremorebebetter.com. And remember, this podcast is not backed by people or companies that we feature. Our purpose is simply to put more good into the world. If you like what we're doing, you can support the show by sharing it with your friends or by donating directly on our site. Just visit caremorebebetter.com and click the donate button. Thank you listeners for being a part of this pod and this community because together we really can do so much more. Thanks for listening to Care More, Be Better, a podcast for social good. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And share with your friends to help us reach more people and spread more social good.